Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number 6, and uh, we have been going through the book of Ephesians on Wednesday nights, verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter, and I'm doing it tonight on Sunday night because uh, I'd like to uh, finish it before the Red Hot Preaching Conference. We have one sermon left before the conference, uh, so we're going to do that, and then we're going to start a brand new book of the Bible uh, after the conference on Wednesday nights for our midweek service, and uh, tonight will be the 18th sermon that I have preached out of the book of Ephesians. This, this uh, book has six chapters in it, but there's so um, much truth in it, especially these New Testament epistles. There's so much in there. I don't like to just take one chapter a week. We'll do that with like Ezekiel, and we'll probably do that with Job and some of those bigger books, but there's so much truth here. We just try to go by subject, and, and, and we have done a thorough verse-by-verse study of this book. And you can go on our website and our YouTube channel and find whatever section of this book you want. And we've not left any stone uh, unturned. It feels like we've been in this book uh, longer maybe than, than usual because of the fact uh, that we actually started the book of Ephesians November twenty seventh, 2019. And, and that doesn't account for 18 weeks of sermons, but if you remember... Between March 12th and May 12th, we took a break from the book of Ephesians because of the lockdowns and uh, coronavirus and, and, you know, all of that. And uh, so now we're, we, we got back to it once we got back into church, and uh, we're finishing it uh, uh, tonight. So I want you to notice that there are two major themes, two major subjects in the few verses that we have left. Uh, we've already preached through uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 17, so we're going to start in verse 18, and move our way down. There are two major subjects, and they are two subjects that I feel like we've been talking a lot about in the last several weeks, and I, I feel like maybe it's just this is what God wants us to talk about for now, but we're going to uh, be looking at this idea of prayer and soul winning, prayer and soul winning, and uh, we're just going to walk through these verses, and we're going to make application as we go along. So we'll, we'll start with prayer, and if you are taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes, I want you to notice several things that the Apostle Paul uh, emphasizes about prayer in these verses. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 18, he says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. First thing I want you to notice is that he, he says praying always with all prayer and supplication. The word prayer simply means to ask, to ask for something or to make a request. And the word supplication actually is defined as the action of asking or even begging for something, asking for someone to supply your need. And I want you to notice that that is what prayer is. When you boil down prayer, it is the act of asking God for your needs. Now keep your place there in Ephesians chapter 6. That's our text for tonight. But go with me if you would to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Just one book over, Philippians chapter 4. And I want you to notice because if, if you talk to these real deep theologians, or if you read a book on, on prayer, you know, written by a theologian, they're going to give you all these complicated definitions. They're going to tell you that prayer is you know, coming to God in adoration, and, you know, and they'll, they'll give you like a 12-step program for praying, you know, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. But when you study the Bible, you find that in the Bible, prayer is simply this, bringing your request to God, 
bringing your needs to God, praying and asking God. And of course, we should worship God during our time of communion, and we should uh, praise God and all those things. When we're talking about prayer, we are referring to the fact that we are asking and making requests of God. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. Be careful for nothing. Now, when the Bible says there, be careful for nothing, that's not talking about like, like, don't be cautious. The word care in our King James Bible is the word that we, the word that you and I would use today would be the word anxious. He says, be anxious for nothing. He says, be nervous about nothing. He says, don't worry about anything. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, notice our words, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Notice he says, let your request be made known unto God. And when we talk about prayer, we've got to begin with this idea, number one, of the petitions of prayer. The petitions of prayer, and is this, look, and, and here's the question that I have for you, and we've been talking a lot about prayer over the last several weeks, and I just feel like this is what God wants us to deal with, but when we're talking about prayer, we're talking about you making requests, you having petitions to God. Go to the book of Matthew, if you would, in the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7, should be fairly easy to find. And don't answer this out loud, and I don't, you know, I want you to just think about this in your own mind, and your heart, but ask yourself, do you have a time in your day when you pray? You have a time, and I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, when you pray to eat. You know, thank you, Lord, for this food, bless our bodies, amen, as the fork is making its way to your mouth, you know. I'm talking about, do you have a time Set aside during the day when you make your requests, your requests are made known unto God. When you bring your petitions to the Lord, because whether you get this or not, God wants to supply our needs. God wants to answer our prayers. He is just waiting for us to ask. Are you there in Matthew chapter 7? Look at verse 7. We've seen these verses recently. Ask, ask, and it shall be given you. Why is it oftentimes not given you? Because oftentimes we don't ask. He says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Look, God says, I will answer every prayer. I will, if you ask, you will receive. And if you seek, you will find. And if you knock, it shall be open. Now, let me just say this. You, God may not answer your prayer the way you want it answered. And we're going to talk about that later on in the sermon. God may not answer it the way you want it. But God makes his promise. If you ask, he'll answer. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it shall be open unto you. Notice verse 9. Or what man is there of you whom, if a son asks bread, will he give him a stone? He says, look, if you have a little baby, you have a little child that's your son or your daughter, and she's asking, she's hungry, she's asking you for bread, are you going to give her a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? He says, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them, notice the words, that ask him. See, God says, I want to supply your needs. He said, in the same way that you want to supply the needs of your children, he said, I'm your heavenly father. I want to supply your needs, and I, I, and I will give good things. I will supply to them that ask. So what's the problem? The problem with prayer is often this, that we don't ask. You lost and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war. James says, yet you have not because you ask not. Sometimes people will say the problem with prayer is that it doesn't work. And I would submit to you that the problem with prayer is that we don't pray 
that we don't ask, is that we, don't, we do not make a request to God. Go to the book of 1 Samuel, if you would. 1 Samuel chapter number 1. James would say this, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, you got 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, 1 Samuel chapter number 1. And I, and I would just say this, look, you need to ask. You need to set a time aside in your life when you ask, when you bring your petitions to the Lord, when you make requests, and you ought to write them down. You ought to uh, have a list, and you, you, know, you should mark them. And, and it, there's something encouraging about having a list that you're, I'm, Lord, I'm just asking for these things. And as God answers those prayers, you can check those uh, things off. Or you can cross those things off. Look, we need to make our requests, and you'll be surprised how God will answer. I remember uh, listening to uh, Curtis Hudson preach one time on the subject of prayer. Curtis Hudson is a great preacher of yesteryear, and he's, of course, passed away now. But he told a story about how he was coming back from a preaching engagement, and this was back when, uh, some of you are familiar with Sword of the Lord. This was back when, in, probably in the heyday of Sword of the Lord, when they would have these subscriptions, and people would subscribe to these uh, uh, newspapers that would go out, and they'd have preaching and all that. And of course, now today we have Facebook, and all, you know, so <laughs> that's how people, and YouTube. But this was kind of back in the 70s and 80s. This was a big thing with Sword of the Lord. And he had all these people that had signed up for the Sword of the Lord, and they paid their subscriptions and all these things, and he had it all in his briefcase and he was coming back from this preaching engagement and he had this briefcase and uh, they had to go get the luggage. He was going to go take the briefcase and try to get the luggage and uh, his wife said, I can hold your briefcase while you get the luggage. He said, hey, listen, honey, I've got, there's lots of money in there and there's lots of people have subscribed to the sword of the Lord. I've got sermons that I've written there and I've got stuff I'm working on. It's really important. And she, she, she looked at him and she said, I'm a grown woman, okay? I can take care of your briefcase I'll hold your briefcase while you get the luggage. He said, okay, all right, no problem. And he went and he took the briefcase and he got the luggage and they got in their car and they drove. I think he lived two hours from the airport. And they drove back home and they had dinner and got ready for bed. And right before they went to bed, he heard this scream, ah! And it was his wife. And he, and he says, what's wrong? He said, your briefcase. And she had set it down at the airport and left it there. And it was about two hours and she, and he got, you know, he tells the story and he was upset. And of course, He's a man of God, but I, you know, he's telling his wife, you have ruined my ministry. You know, he's like, all these people signed up for the sword of the Lord. And now they're going to think I stole from them and all this and that. And uh, she said, well, let, you know, pray and, and let's go. And he said, there's no way that briefcase, that was two hours ago and this and that. They got in the car and their son got in the car and they started driving towards the airport. And his wife said, you ought to pray. And he was upset in the flesh. And he said, okay. And he started praying. And he was praying kind of sarcastically, you know, just kind of taking jabs at his wife. While he, and he said, Lord, you, you, you are the God that parted the Red Sea. You are the God that, that you know, stopped the sun in the air. And, and, and if you want to, God, you can send down some guardian angels and guard that briefcase because we know that this, that briefcase is not there. Amen. And, and, they, and he drove the rest of the way in silence, just angry. And he tells the story. He gets out of his car. He starts going to the area where the, the briefcase, where they'd left the briefcase, and a cop stops him. And he says, where are you going? And he said, I left my briefcase. He said, did you lose a briefcase? And he said, well, I didn't lose a briefcase. My wife lost a briefcase, but, you know, she's a grown woman, so uh, she can do that. And, and the, the cop said, we, we have your briefcase. And he said, walk with me. And he walked him over there. And when he walked over there, there were four armed police officers surrounding that briefcase, 
And he said, what are these cops doing? And he said, they're guarding the briefcase, make sure, making sure nobody touches it. And he said, why? And they said, well, they're waiting for the bomb squad to come <laughs> and make sure that there's not a bomb in it. But here's, here's the point. He prayed that there would be guards sent from God to keep the briefcase safe. And he got there, and there were guards sent from God to keep the briefcase safe. And here's all I'm telling you. Here's all I'm saying. You have not because you ask not. The reason that we don't get answered prayers from God is because we don't make requests to God. And here's all I'm trying to get you to do. Get in the habit of asking God. Asking God for something big, for something great, for your life, for your family. Look, ask God for big requests. I was thinking recently, and I didn't ask permission to give this uh, illustration. I hope it's okay. But I was thinking recently about uh, little baby Arabella. And the Sweeten family, we've been, they've been praying and we've been praying for, I don't know, years for this baby. It reminded me of this verse, 1 Samuel, if you're there, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Remember Hannah? You've been asking for a baby. 1 Samuel one twenty seven. when God gave them a baby, notice what she says. She says, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath, notice these words, given me my petition which I asked of him. See, prayer is asking. Prayer is making requests, bringing your requests, making your requests known unto God. And here Paul says, hey, praying always with all prayer and supplication. He says, we need to bring our petitions unto the Lord. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6, if you would. Look at verse 18. I want you to notice the second thing here about prayer. He says, not only is prayer supplication, not only is prayer a petition, not only is prayer a request. He says, he talks about the petition of prayer, but then he talks about the power of prayer. Notice verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Then he says these words, in the spirit, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. It's interesting because I just had somebody ask me about praying in the spirit. And it's just kind of interesting that I was preaching tonight from Ephesians chapter six, where Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And what's really interesting is that that phrase in the spirit in connection to prayer is only found in Ephesians chapter 6. It's the only place you'll find that phrase. You'll find the phrase in the spirit in connection to other things, being caught up in the spirit, walking in the spirit. But in regards to praying in the spirit, you only find that phrase in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. And somebody asked me about this, so I want to take the time to kind of explain what the Bible is teaching here and what the Bible says about in the Spirit. And I want to share with you another passage. Go to the book of Jude, if you would. If you start right at the end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, and you head back, you have the book of Jude, one chapter. Look at verse number 20. Now, Ephesians 6.18 is the only passage where you find prayer and supplication being referred to in the Spirit. In Jude 1.20, you do have something extremely similar, but worded different. Jude 1.20 says this, But ye, beloved, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So here, we are told to pray in the Spirit, and we're also told to pray in the Holy Ghost. Now, what does this mean? Go to the book of Acts, if you would, Acts chapter number 2. And let me just say this. We here at Verity Baptist are Baptists. And what that means is, you say, well, you know, what does it mean? What does it matter that you're a Baptist? I bring that up to say this. As Baptists, 
we are biblicists, which means that the Bible is the final authority of all matters of faith and practice uh, in our church. So what that means is whenever a question is asked, you know, uh, what does praying in the Spirit mean? The only way that we can answer that question is by saying, well, what does the Bible say? about that. What does the Bible teach about praying in the Spirit, about praying in the Holy Ghost? Because today, there's a belief where people say praying in the Spirit is speaking in tongues. And it'll be uh, uh, often used by the charismatic movement and the Pentecostal movement, where they'll say, when you speak in tongues, you're praying in the Spirit. And I want to show you why we don't believe that here at Verity Baptist Church. First of all, there's only two times where you find that phrase used. Ephesians chapter 6, praying always with all prayer in the Spirit. And I want you to notice that in that chapter, in fact, in that entire book, there is no mention of speaking in tongues. And then in Jude, when he says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and there's no mention in Jude about speaking in tongues. Now, the reason I had you go to Acts chapter 2, because I want to take some time to kind of answer this, because I want to answer it with the Bible. What does the Bible say? You know, what do we believe about speaking in tongues? What do we believe about tongue speaking? Acts chapter 2, look at verse 1. Well, look, we can only believe what the Bible says. We can only derive our beliefs from the Word of God. So I want you to notice what the Bible says, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and of course Pentecost was a celebration, it was a holiday where many Jews came from all over the world back into Jerusalem to celebrate this. And this is where the Pentecostals will take their name from, Acts chapter 2. He says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. So I want you to notice, on the day of Pentecost, you had this miracle happen where there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And this was something that God did, all right? This is not something that they, 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 they used microphones with or they used uh, speakers and technology. God brought this mighty sound. And not only that, but the Bible says that there were cloven tongues like as of a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Notice verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now here the Bible talks about being filled with the Holy Ghost, and I preach sermons about the filling of the Holy Ghost uh, in the past, and I'm not going to delve into that tonight. But this is why they'll say, well, praying in the Spirit is speaking in tongues, because they were filled with the Holy Ghost. But I want you to notice what the Bible says happened on the day of Pentecost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, if you stop right there, and you, if you, you might say, well, well, there you go, you know, uh, speaking with tongues in the Spirit as the Spirit gave them utterance. But keep in mind that we must allow the Bible to define itself. We're biblicists. We have to allow the Bible to tell us, okay, so what does this mean? When it says that they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, what is that referring to? Notice verse 5. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem... Jews, devout men. Now, I want you to notice that God mentions some things here because it's important for us to know this. 
It's the day of Pentecost, and they are dwelling at Jerusalem because they're there for the day of Pentecost. Jews, he says, devout men out of every nation under heaven. He says there was Jews there that were Jewish people, but they came from every nation under heaven. Notice verse 6. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. The word confounded means they were confused. Why were they confused? Because that every man heard them speak, notice, in his own language. Now, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you ought to just draw a line between the word language in verse 6 and the word tongues in verse 4, because the Bible just defined for us what the word tongues means. In verse 4, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And you say, okay, well, what does that mean? What happened? Well, here's what it means, that there was devout men out of every nation, and every man heard them speak in his own language. So I want you to notice that on the day of Pentecost, when the 120 came down, filled the Holy Ghost, and began to preach, they were speaking languages that people understood. That the men, that these men from all from every nation under heaven understood. And in fact, they were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Look at verse 7. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Notice the context. What they're saying to each other is, these people that are speaking our languages, aren't they all Galileans? Galilee was the local uh, area there. They're saying, aren't these all locals from this area? Aren't they all local people that live here in Galilee? Look at verse 8. And how here we, every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. I want you to notice, and if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you should draw a line between the word language in verse 6 and the word tongue in verse 8, because now the Bible is not only defining this word, but it's using it interchangeably. Verse 4, tongues. Verse uh, 6, language. Verse 8, tongue. And these guys, they're confused and they're amazed because they're saying, hey, aren't these all Galileans? Aren't these all locals? How hear we every man in our own tongue, in our own language, wherein we were born. Now notice verse 9. Just to, Now look, that's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty clear that these 120 were speaking languages that these people that came from all over the world were able to understand. They were not speaking languages that were just languages that nobody understood or languages that most people don't understand or heavenly languages. They were speaking tongues and languages from every nation. But just to make sure, just to make sure that that's what you get from this passage, in verse 9 and 10 and 11, God gives us a list of 15 different locations of the languages they were speaking. Look at verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and in Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in the parts of uh, Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers, the word stranger means foreigners, of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians. Notice what they say, last, verse of, last part of verse 11. We do hear them speak in our tongues. The wonderful works of God. You say, well, uh, Pastor Jimenez, do you believe in tongue speaking? Well, if you're asking me, do I believe what happened in Acts chapter 2? Absolutely. I believe everything the Bible says. 
Do you believe in tongue speaking like the modern charismatic movement does, where they have church services and people get up and speak in tongue and they don't know what they're saying and nobody knows what they're saying and, and someone has to interpret it because it's a, uh, angelic, uh, language? Well, here's the thing. I don't know where you got that from, but that's not what happened in Acts chapter 2. That's not what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, if you want to say, well, we do tongue speaking like the, like they did on the day of Pentecost. Well, here's the thing. On the day of Pentecost, they spoke languages that people understood. You say, well, what was the miracle? Well, number one, the miracle was that there was fire on top of their head and it didn't burn them up. Okay, that's pretty miraculous. I've never seen that happen in any service where anybody claimed to speak in tongues. But you know what the real miracle was? The miracle was that they were speaking languages they'd never learned. They never learned these languages. They didn't know these languages. And the Holy Ghost was giving them the ability to walk up to someone who spoke Spanish, someone who spoke Mandarin, someone who spoke Italian, someone who spoke... They were being able to use the languages they never learned. And the people were confounded saying, how do we hear them speak in our own language or in our own tongue or in our own uh, uh, tongues, the wonderful works of God? So what happened... On the day of Pentecost, here's what happened. 120 in the upper room came down, filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak languages that people from all over the world heard and understood for the purpose of what? Preaching the gospel. I mean, at the day of Pentecost, what happens? 3,000 people are saved and baptized. Notice verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? So here's the thing, you say, well, praying in the Spirit, is that speaking in tongues? Well, if, if you're referring to the modern charismatic movement, tongue speaking, that's not what happened the day of Pentecost, number one. And number two, there's only two passages that use the word praying in the Spirit or praying in the Holy Ghost, and neither one of those ma- passages mentions speaking in, an, in a heavenly language or an angelic language. So you say, well, then, then what does praying in the Spirit mean? Well, go to Romans chapter number eight. Acts Roman. Because here's the thing, we have to allow the Bible to define for us what, look, we can't just decide we, we, we believe what we believe because some denomination told us, or some Bible college told us, or some preacher told us. We have to go back to the Bible and say, well, what does the Bible say? So when you look at the passages in the Bible that have to do with praying and the Holy Ghost, Romans chapter 8 is going to be your biggest, you know, passage kind of dealing with that. How does the Holy Ghost play a part in our prayers? Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. He says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. I mean, have you ever felt that way? A situation comes up, and you know you should pray about it, but you're just like, I don't even know what to pray. I'm not even sure what the right thing in this situation is. I'm not sure what should happen here. He says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints You say, what what is this referring to? He's making intercession. What does that mean? That means that he's going between us and God the Father. God the Holy Spirit is going between us and God the Father. You say, yeah, but it says there, with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to God the Father. He's interceding on our behalf. 
He's taking our prayers and interceding and going to God the Father because he's saying, look, the context is when you don't know what to pray, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, the Holy Spirit takes your prayer and takes it to God the Father and maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So here's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes your prayer because the Holy Spirit of God knows what the will of God is. So he takes your prayer. You say, why does it say with groanings which cannot be uttered? Because sometimes he changes your prayer to things that you would never say. And then delivers it to God. Look, some of you, you got to be careful. You may not want to pray. Because you sit there and say, God, I need a million dollars. God, give me a million dollars. God, if you gave me a million dollars, I would start tithing, Lord, I promise. If you gave me a million dollars, I'd start tithing. And the Holy Spirit takes that and says, no, you won't, God. If he can't be trusted to tithe when he's making $12.50 an hour, you giving him a million dollars isn't going to help that. You know what he needs? He needs a car accident, God. He needs to be humbled. He, he, he needs you to chasten him. So he takes, so you say, God, I need a million dollars. And the Holy Spirit says, God, he needs to lose his job. There you go. Because the Holy Spirit knows that when you lose your job, you're going to draw closer to God. So you sit there and say, God, uh, I need you to give me, you know, this uh, fancy house. And, God, and the Holy Spirit is like, no, he needs to uh, just start going soul winning, God. So just, you know, make him lose his house. And I'm not saying it makes the opposite. I'm just saying that God takes, the Holy Spirit takes your prayer. You say, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Here's what it means to pray in the Spirit. You walk up to God and you say, God, there's this situation. I'm not even sure what the right thing to do. Lord, I'm telling you, this is how I pray. This is how my wife and I pray. We walk up to God and we say, Lord, I'm not even sure what the right thing to do is. I'm going to make a request. Here's the request, Lord. Here's what I'm asking for. But I'm not even sure if that's right, Lord. So I'm praying in the Spirit that the Holy Spirit would conform my prayer according to your will. Because at the end of the day, God, I trust you. So Job, Job could have sat there and prayed, Lord, just give me my, my, my family back. Lord, give me my finances back. Lord, give, give me, uh, uh, you know, peace again. And, and Job got those things eventually, but, you know, there was a long time there when those prayers, God was changing, saying, no, you know, he needs this in his life. Because God knows better than you do what you need. So sometimes we pray but when you pray in the Spirit, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. See, praying in the Spirit is this, that the Holy Spirit takes your prayer and he conforms it to the will of God. That's why God says, if you ask, I'll answer every time. But it might not be the same prayer you asked. Because if you pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to change that prayer to make it conform to the will of God. So look, this can give you some relief when it comes to prayer. Because sometimes as a pastor, I have situations that I come across, I come across and people ask me to pray. And honestly, sometimes I'm like, Lord, I don't even know what to pray. You know, these people are asking me to pray for X, Y, and Z, but I'm not sure if that's what you want. I'm going to pray for that, God, but just know I'm praying according to your will. Like, and by the way, this is how Jesus prayed, right? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Well, guess what? When Jesus prayed that prayer, let this cup pass from me, the Holy Spirit took that prayer and said, no, he needs to drink that cup, God. That, that prayer can't be answered. You understand what I'm saying? That's what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit with thanksgiving 
You walk up to God and say, God, here's oftentimes, and I'm just trying to help you with your prayer time. Oftentimes I'll say, Lord, here's what I'm asking for. You may or may not grant that. You may or may not want that. That may or may not be your will. I'm praying that your will is done because I trust you, God. But just help me to know when the, when the prayer is answered that that was your will. And you'd be surprised sometimes. Sometimes I'm going through my list and it's like, wow, that was answered exactly how I asked. Wow, that was answered exactly how I asked. Wow, that was answered not exactly how I asked, but I can see that that was what God wanted. I can see that that's what God was working so we see here the Apostle Paul, go back to Ephesians chapter 6, we see him referring to the petitions of our prayer. Then we see him referring to the power in our prayer. What's the power in our prayer? The power in our prayer is that we can involve the Holy Spirit of God. And he gives us confidence. He gives us confidence to bring our supplications. Now I want you to notice the third characteristic here of prayer, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereon too with all Notice this word, perseverance and supplication for all saints. Not only do we see the petition of prayer in this verse, not only do we see the power of prayer in this verse, but we see, thirdly, the perseverance of prayer. The word perseverance means persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. See, God not only wants us to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, He also wants us to persevere in our prayer. What does that mean? Well, go to the book of Luke, if you would, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus actually gave a parable regarding prayer about perseverance. Luke chapter 18, look at verse 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, the Bible says this, and he spake a parable unto them to this end. Okay? So he spake a parable unto them, and when Jesus gave this parable, he had a goal... It, it, it was a, there was a purpose to this parable. He gave this parable unto them to this end. To what end? That man ought always to pray and not to faint. So the purpose of this parable is to teach us that we should always pray or persevere in our, par- our prayers or be persistent in our prayer and that we should not faint and we should not quit on prayer. So notice the parable, verse 2, saying, and a parable, of course, is a story that Jesus told. It's just, it's a made-up story that it's an earthly story with a spiritual application. He said, there was, a, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded men. It's probably not hard for you to imagine that, living in California. A judge that feared not God, neither regarded men. We've got a lot of those. Look at verse 3. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. So here we have a widow going to the judge who she's supposed to go to because she was wronged, her adversary wronged her, she should have been avenged. So she's going to the judge and saying, I need you to bring judgment upon this adversary. Avenge me of mine adversary. Verse 4, And he, the judge, would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because... So he didn't want to answer her prayer. He's, he's like, no, I only do things for bribes. You know, if you don't bring me money, I'm not, I'm not motivated to help you, woman. And he wouldn't answer for a while, but he ended up answering her prayer. Why? Why did he answer her, her petition? Verse 5, he says, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming, she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. 
saith, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? Here's what Jesus is saying. God wants you to bother him with your prayer. God wants you to be persistent in prayer. God wants you to pray. He, he taught this parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint. God wants you to bring your prayers continually unto him. Now, let me just say this. Jesus taught against vain and repetitious prayers. But there is a difference between vain and repetitious prayers and prayers that we often repeat to God. You say, what's the difference? The difference is this word, vain. Vain means empty. See, when you get a book of prayers and you just read prayers to God, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, I, I don't know. I wasn't a Catholic. I can't come up. I have to ask my wife. Sweet Mary, mother. I don't know what they said, but, you know, Mary, whatever. You know, and they just, oh, you, you say, oh, they're, they're repeating the prayers over and over and over again. Yeah, but they're vain. It's empty. There's nothing there. See, God doesn't mind when I, when I come to him every day and pray for my wife and my children and my family and my church family. God doesn't mind. He doesn't mind hearing that over and over. There's nothing empty about that. God wants you to bring your prayers continually unto the Lord. God doesn't mind uh, when Brother Scott and Miss Lisa kept bringing a petition and, Lord, and saying, Lord, open a door and give us a, a, another baby and let us. God didn't mind hearing that over and over and over again. In fact, God, sometimes he wants to, not just sometimes, all the time, he wants to hear our prayers. In fact, I believe, and I'm convinced of this, and I'll just say this to you and you do what you want with it. I'm convinced that sometimes God puts us in a bind because that's the only time he ever hears from us. The only time he ever hears from you is when you're in trouble. The only time he ever hears from you is when you're in the emergency room, when you're at the mechanic, when you're at the payday loan place. They keep sending you to the emergency room, the mechanic, because that's the only time he hears from you. Yeah, I'm just to the place where I say, you know what, God, I, I'm not gonna for- I don't want you to be feel like you have to force me to pray. I'm just going to pray every day. So you just bless me and leave, you know, and help me and not, you know, bring chastisement upon my life. But sometimes God, you know, he doesn't, I think sometimes he doesn't answer our prayer as quickly as we want to because he just likes to hear from his children. So there's the power of prayer. There's the petition in prayer. There's the persistence in prayer. He said, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary. And then God says, Jesus says, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. God wants to hear from you. So look, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to prayer, it doesn't work if you don't bring your petitions. It doesn't work if you don't bring the power of God and pray in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that you say, God, I'm praying in your will, and the Holy Spirit knows better than I do. Here's what I'm praying. Lord, here's what I'm asking. And look, often many of my prayers, I'm saying, Lord, I'm asking for in our, with our church, I, I'd like this and this, and I'm praying for this situation, I'm praying for that situation, and here's what I want, God. But if that's not your will, then you just work it out. Not my will, but thine be done. And then there's a the persistence in prayer. Go back to Ephesians chapter number 6. Look at verse 18, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The persistence in prayer, the power in prayer, the perseverance in prayer. But in verse 19, he kind of shifts gears. And we're going to shift gears in this sermon. And he stops talking about prayer, and he starts talking about soul winning. Notice verse 19. He says, and for me. 
And the way that he's connecting this is because he just got done talking about prayer. And in verse 19, he's actually going to put in his prayer request. So just like we have a time where you put in on your communication card, you write a prayer request. We put it on the prayer list and then we pray for it. This is the Apostle Paul submitting his prayer request to the church at Ephesians Ephesians 6, verse 19, because he just got done talking about prayer, and now he's going to tell them, here's how I want you to pray for me, Ephesians 6, 19, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I want you to notice several things here about soul winning. We'll try to move through this quickly. Number one, he talks about how we should communicate in our soul winning. Notice the word utterance. He says that utterance may be given unto me. The word utter or utterance means a spoken word, a statement, or a vocal sound. Go to the book of Colossians, if you would. Colossians chapter 4. You're there in Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And here's the point. So many doesn't work if you don't open your mouth. Okay? You have to actually go and confront people and communicate with people and bring the gospel to them. It doesn't work if we don't actually go and talk to them. Colossians chapter 4, look at verse 3. Notice how Colossians 4, 3 is very similar to Ephesians 6. He talks about prayer and soul winning. Verse 3, with all praying also for us that God, notice, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Notice verse 4, that I may make it manifest. I love these words, as I ought to speak. The word manifest means this, to show clearly. Look, when it comes to soul winning, your goal is this, to communicate clearly. That's it. I think sometimes, and I'm not trying to belittle anyone, and I hope you don't take it that way. But sometimes people, they, they, make, they make a big deal about soul winning, and they're like, oh, I'm not ready, and I can't do it. And I... Look, so if you're saved, if you're saved, you can go soul winning. In fact, let me rephrase that. If you're saved, you should go soul winning. You say, why? Because look, Jesus called it being a witness. Sometimes we refer to witness or witnessing as a verb. It's something we do, and it is something we do. But witnessing only works when it's first a noun. You are a witness that will be a witness. Do you understand what I'm saying? He he says, he, he says, he, he talks about the Holy Ghost coming upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. You are going to be a witness. You should be a witness verb, but you first are a witness noun. See, if you're saved, what does a witness do? They go up and they uh, uh, take an oath and they promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And then they witness, they testify of what? Of what they experience. Here's what I saw. Here's what happened. This happened first and this happened second. They don't have to sit there and think about it. They're just, the only time you have to think about it is when you're lying. If you're just telling the truth, here's what happened. Well, guess what? If you're saved, then you just tell somebody how you got saved. Oh, you know, the Bible says I'm a sinner, and Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I called upon him for salvation. That's it. And obviously, we need the word of God. I'm not minimizing that. I'm just saying, I think sometimes we make a big deal about it. And here's what soul winning is. You take a verse, and you clearly explain it to someone. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I read it, then I explain to someone. What this verse means is that we're all sinners. 
Like, I'm not trying to belittle or, or, or minimize. I'm just telling you, this is, this is the goal. The goal of soul winning is to clearly communicate the gospel. In fact, if your soul winning presentation is convoluted and confusing, you're doing it wrong. It's not that complicated. We're all sinners. We deserve to die and go to hell as a result of our sin. Jesus died to pay for our sins. I don't have to pay for it by my good works. He paid for it on the cross. Once I have it, I can't lose it, and I have to call upon him for salvation. Just communicate it clearly. Now look, obviously the more you do it, the more you go, you can add other verses and you can add illustrations and you can add, look, all of that is good. But the point is this, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That I, that, that he says to open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ that I may make it manifest. My goal, and by the way, for you guys who preach, the goal of preaching is just to clearly communicate with people truth from God's word. If you make it too complicated, you're not helping anybody. Just get up here and here's what the Bible says. Here's how we apply it to your lives. Amen. You know, and some of you wish it was that fast. It takes a little longer than that because you're hard-headed. But, you know, it's, it's just communicating clearly the gospel. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. So he talks about how we communicate, how we communicate. And the goal is this, to just communicate clearly. The goal is this, just communicate clearly. If you've gone to our sewing seminar, this is how we teach it. You, you read the passage, you reveal the truth, and you review the concept. You read the passage, you explain it, but the wage of sin is death. Here's what that means. There's a payment for our sin, and that payment is death. Not just physical death, but the second death of the lake of fire. You read it, you reveal the truth, you explain it, you review it with them. Do you understand that? Does that make sense to you? And you move on. You just clearly communicate the gospel. He says, number one, how we communicate. Then he says, by what authority we communicate. Notice verse 19. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth, notice this word, boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak, notice this word, boldly, as I ought to speak. See, we, we need to not only communicate clearly, but we need to communicate boldly. Go to Matthew chapter 7, if you would. Communicating boldly does not mean being arrogant or rude. But it means that we have confidence. We communicate clearly, and we communicate with confidence. We communicate clearly, and we communicate boldly the Word of God. And now, please understand, I'm not trying to make it seem light. Soul winning is a, a big deal, and it's, it's something that we should, we should practice, and, and you should take the time to learn, and you should be a silent partner for a while, and watch it. You should go through a soul winning seminar. You, all those things are true, but don't, don't let it become this giant where you think, well, I could never do that. It's just communicating clearly the gospel. You do it clearly, and you do it with confidence. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 28. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus, or what they said about Jesus. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Notice Jesus uh, taught with authority. Go to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. And by the way, all of this applies to preaching as well. When you get up to preach, you ought to preach with authority. Not be a jerk, but with authority. In fact, everything you do for God should be done with authority. When you get up here to read the text, you ought to read it with authority. When you get up here to lead the music, you ought to lead it with authority. When you get up here to preach, you ought to preach with authority. Anything you do, you ought to do it with authority. You say, why? Well, because we're special? No, because we represent a God that is powerful. 
You say, what's your authority to go out there? What gives you the right to go out there and knock on people's doors who you don't know, who didn't ask you to come? Look, what's your right to do that? Matthew 28, verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying. Notice what Jesus said. This is after he died and resurrected from the grave. He resurrected from the grave. This is the ascended Christ. And here's what he said to his disciples. He says, all Power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, usually when we talk about the Great Commission, we look at the next two verses. And we're going to look at the next two verses, but I want you to know there's a context of the next two verses. Because the context of Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then in verse 19, he says, Go ye therefore. Whenever you see that word therefore, you got to figure out what it's there for. Because that word therefore is referring back to the previous verse. The word therefore means for this reason. Jesus says, go ye therefore. He says, go ye for this reason. Go ye for what reason? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. The authority for us to go out and preach the gospel is given to us by Jesus Christ himself. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And he says, because of that, go ye therefore. Well, what if the government doesn't let? I don't, we don't need the government's authority. What if they pass law? And my, my authority comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our boldness comes from Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about being jerks. I'm not talking about being out there being arrogant or being mean. But I'm saying, we had to walk out there saying, hey, I'm here on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. All power is given unto him in heaven and in earth. And he sent me to tell you. Go ye therefore. Go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 20. Look at verse 21. John chapter 20, verse 21. We gotta hurry up. John chapter 20, verse 21. John chapter 20, verse 21, the Bible says this Then said Jesus unto them. This is another great commission passage. Jesus gives a great commission. Every one of the Gospels, he gives a great commission. And, and they're all a little different. He said it multiple times because it's important. In John 20, 21, he says this Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. Notice what he says. He says, As my Father has sent me. He says, Here's my authority, Jesus would say. My authority as the Son of God is that God the Father sent me to this earth. He says, and as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. You understand what he just said? He said, my authority is God the Father. I got my authority from that God the Father. In the same way that God sent me, I even so send I you. So what authority? What authority do we go in? We go in the authority of Christ. Go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. You say, I, I struggle with boldness. And look, I understand that. I can understand it's intimidating to go out soul winning and talk to someone you don't know. It could be intimidating. In fact, that's why the Apostle Paul is praying. He's asking, as for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of God. He's praying that the church at Ephesus would pray that he would have boldness. So if, if you struggle with that, the first thing I would say is you got to pray that God gives you boldness. That God helps you with boldness. But there's some, another thing you could do. Notice Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Notice the word boldness. 
when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They had not gone to Bible college. They had not received any theological training. But they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Notice, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You say, how can I get boldness? Spend time with Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that? Spend time with his word. Look, spend time in the word of God. It'll give you boldness. You say, Pastor Menace, how do you have the boldness to get up there three times a week and tell people, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to stop doing this, you need to stop doing that. Well, here's the thing. I wouldn't have that boldness if I just had to tell you, like, you need to do this. I, I don't know what you should do. I, that's why uh, when I'm praying, I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. The Holy Spirit needs to take care of this one because I'm not sure. But you know, I can get up here and preach with boldness. You know why? Because though I don't have all the answers, I know this book has all the answers. And if I can stand up and say, hey, I'm not sure what you're going through. If you told me your story, I might cry with you. And if you told me your story, I might, you know, you might sway me. But at the end of the day, this is what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord God. And here's what it says. I can say that with boldness. Well, let me tell you about my husband and why I want to leave. Look, you might tell me about your husband, and I might want to leave him by the time you're done with your story, but God says, don't get a divorce. I can say that with boldness. I don't have to question it. God says to spank your children. God says to, you know, whatever. Look, whatever the Bible says, we can have boldness in knowing that God is right all the time. That what gives you the boldness out soul when he's telling people they're going to go to hell? Well, look, you got to do it kindly. You got to use some tact. But my authority comes from Jesus Christ. And I'm preaching the word of God. I can have boldness in knowing that I'm preaching the truth. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 20. There's a third characteristic. We got to hurry up. The t-shirts are getting cold. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 20. He says this. For which I am an ambassador in bonds. That therein I may speak boldly. As I ought to speak. See, he, he, he tells us about how we communicate. We communicate clearly. He tells us about but with what authority we communicate. We com- communicate confidently. And then he tells us of who we represent. Look, we are ambassadors. He says, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're almost done. We'll be, we'll be done here very soon. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you go backwards from Ephesians, you have Galatians and the book of 2 Corinthians. This word ambassador means an official representative. Representative. Or a leader or a head of state. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus said? As my Father has sent me, so send I you. God hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled us to himself through Jesus and then Jesus gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We just saw all of that. Look at verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us The word of reconciliation, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. You say, how can you go out there with authority? Well, I'm not going with my authority. I'm going with the authority of Jesus Christ. And in fact, I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I am am a representative of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. 
as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, notice these words, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. When I stand at that door and I knock the door and I ask somebody, do you know for sure if you died today or you're on your way to heaven? They said, I'm not sure. And I said, well, let me, can I show you from the Bible? And they say, sure. And I sit there and I open the Bible and I begin to clearly communicate and I begin to confidently communicate and I begin to teach them and show them, look, the Bible says you're a sinner. The Bible says that our sin has condemned us to hell. The Bible says Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. Once you have it, you can't lose it. All you have to do is by faith call upon you. When I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to recognize Reconcile unto God. The Bible says that I'm doing that in Christ's stead. What does that mean? That means that I'm there instead of Christ. That Christ sent me in his place. I'm an ambassador. See, when an ambassador goes to another country, it's because the President of the United States can't go to every country. So he sends a representative. That ambassador doesn't go with their authority. They go with the authority of the President of the United States. They go with the power of the President of the United States. You and I get to be ambassadors for the King of Kings. And by the way, I'll just throw this out there. That's why I think if you do what you want with this, and it doesn't bother me, you do what you want. Look, I'm happy that people just go soul winning. But that's why I think it matters how you represent yourself out there when you're soul winning. Look, you, you do what you want. I'm not trying to beat you up. But there's a reason why you don't see Pastor Menace show up to soul winning in a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops. You know, what's wrong with that? Well, President Trump wouldn't let you show up like that represent him anywhere. And Jesus is much greater than President Trump. You know, I don't like, pick whatever president you want. Obama, Bush, all of them. None of them would allow you. Look, I think it matters who we represent. And by the way, when you're out there, you're not only representing Jesus Christ, you're representing Mary the Baptist Church. So make sure you keep a good attitude. Make sure you don't go out there and try to pick fights with people. Make sure you're not out there making Jesus look bad because you're not there preaching your gospel. You're there preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ as an ambassador of Jesus Christ with the authority of Jesus Christ preaching the word of Jesus Christ. It's not me. I'm there in Christ's stead as an ambassador for Christ. So Paul talks about soul winning. And he talks about how we communicate clearly. He talks about how we communicate confidently. He talks about how we represent him as an ambassador. Notice verse 20 again, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And then in the last four, four verses of this chapter, we'll read them. He gives his just conclusion and gives, says goodbye. He says, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychius, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that ye might know our affairs and that ye might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And that is the book of Ephesians. Let's bow our heads and I will pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this great book. And thank you for these great thoughts just here at the very end. Three fantastic thoughts on prayer. The petitions of prayer and the power of prayer. The persistence in prayer. And three great thoughts on soul winning. We should communicate clearly and communicate confidently. And that we should remember who we represent. And we're out there knocking doors in Christ's stead. Lord, I pray you'd help us to become a church filled with prayer warriors who bring their request to you, who make known their request to you in the spirit, realizing in the spirit 
that the Holy Spirit is going to have to make intercession on our behalf. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church filled with soul winners that would realize that it is important how we represent you out soul winning and how we communicate to the lost and dying world. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.